We are living in extraordinary times. A lot of the things that we shared, especially in the music scene, the parties, the camaraderie, friendship, listening to music together, dancing to music together, well, it's all temporarily gone. And it's tough. And for me, in this period, one of the saving graces, one of the remaining pleasures has simply been conversations with friends. The podcast series, Last Party on Earth, has kind of, in a way, become a way to have those conversations with friends. So it's partly selfish. It's partly a way to commiserate. It's partly a way to understand. But it has been a lot of fun for me. And hopefully this next series of uh, podcast releases will uh, lighten your load a little bit as well. All that being said, there was no one better for me to speak to right now than Too Many DJs, Soulwax. Too Many DJs are a Belgian duo, Dave and Steph Diwali. They are crazy talented as DJs and as producers, as well as uh, running a record label called Dewey. They are influential, I guess is the only way to say it. They, they all through the 2000s, they pretty much created a style that went on to permeate all kinds of different genres and their productions, their remixes, everything they do. And you'll hear in this very long interview is pretty magical. Now, personally, they hold a very, very, very special place in my heart. They're probably my best friends. They're probably the people that influenced me the most uh, in terms of my own productions and my own music. And uh, you will hear about all of that. Now, these podcasts are the first ones which I have divided up into part one, part two, and bonus material. It is because A, this is a long conversation, and it is because B, this is the beginning of the launch of my Patreon members-only Club Sexor Patreon account. So to get the entire podcast, you sign up uh, with my Patreon and you get the entire part two. So if part one is about an hour, part two is like another hour, and there's bonus material. Anyway, depends how deep you really want to get, but it is worth it. So I present Last Party on Earth with too many DJs. Now I will say this uh, episode is actually quite a lot about me. Um, <laughs> I didn't intend it to be that way, but it's really at parts, especially the beginning, it's really kind of a dissertation on friendship and it's really about my productions and how they enabled me to grow as an artist. And then, so if you can make it through the first half hour, uh, tolerate my egomania. And then we get really deep into too many DJs and everything they've done, their views on DJing, their favorite tracks. Uh, it's a really interesting listen. So I hope you enjoy. This is Too Many DJs, Last Party on Earth. A side note on this edition of the podcast, it was recorded, uh, I think, late May or early June. So we'll take that into consideration. You might hear a little bit of extra optimism in our voices before uh, lockdown continued indefinitely. So it's a bit of a time capsule there. And also a little note on the difficulty of interviewing friends. Uh, there are some inside jokes and there's some moments where we're probably, you know, kind of laughing a little bit at our own jokes. And you just have to bear with us. And, uh, well, hopefully you find the humor in it as well. Hope you enjoy. Last party on Earth. Are we rolling? 
Oh yeah, we there's are. a uh, there's a chance I go shirtless at some point. <laughs> the sun is on my back. Okay, you're eating an orange. That's good. We had some technical difficulties. <laughs> that's good. Everything <laughs> seems just about right. Um, I'm here with Dave and Steph, Soul Wax, Too Many DJs. I got to lay down a few ground rules. Don't let me talk too much. It's something <laughs> I should have told you in 2004. <laughs> but I'm serious, okay? Just don't let me talk too much. In general, in, in, this, in this podcast, do, does the guest speak more than you do? Um, I mean, ideally, yes. When I get to the editing, that's when editing for me has been a, a real eye opener. <laughs> <laughs> well, just seeing how much I talk. Have you been taking out a lot of yourself? I have to, yeah, sometimes. Yeah. Even when I take out a lot of myself, it's still, there's still a lot of me left. So, so that's why <laughs> step one, don't let me talk too much, oh which leads me to number two, which is even more important. Don't let me interrupt you. <laughs> <laughs> Because I've been noticing, especially when you do the editing and it's visual and it's just like, I'm like, oh God, oh God, here comes another block of me. And the guy isn't, he hasn't finished saying what he's trying to say. Oh, man. So I guess then number three is I should listen. So don't let me talk too much. See already what's happening? Yeah, yeah. But I think so um, go, this is sort of the dynamic between us, I think. Uh, I mean, I could be wrong, but for however, uh, 16, seven, like, <laughs> it, it's always seemed to me like that we are your perfect audience. Well, why are you only telling me this now? <laughs> Takes two to tango. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, we're, we're as much to blame as, as you are. Oh, yeah. Just quickly, another rule is don't let me, don't, <laughs> don't. Paint. I don't want to get in that dynamic where I'm like Mr. Burns, you know, like where we're talking about gold deposits Money. and. <laughs> so you don't want us to talk about financial. Well, stuff? no, you know what I mean. It's like, yeah, exactly. Let's just <laughs> let's not go there either. Okay, so what you just said about is this where the editing comes in? <laughs> um, I want to start by saying, well, what you said about the dynamic of our friendship, it's good because what mm -hmm. I want to say, I guess, a little bit of an intro is I consider you guys pretty much like my best friends. And I'm always happy to talk to you. I've, and it's just always been like that. And I think you're probably, probably the most important people I met in the last like 15 years for, for career, for on all kinds of levels. And just really, really inspiring. And the mixture of friendship with making music, with, I don't know, just, just in so many ways, it's, it's been really, really important. Even more than that, you... Thank you. What? Yeah. Sorry, did I... What? You. Sorry, what? <laughs> did you just interrupt <laughs> my monologue? <laughs> oh, Jesus. This feels like a setup for like a joke. <laughs> no, the podcast is actually almost over. Like, I just, I just wanted to... I wanted you to hear me say this. <laughs> the, here's the punchline. You guys somehow over the years, I think, came to represent to me like the good, like the light side, like the, the ideal of the dream of friends making music and the environment you created and I guess your approach to things. So really the point of this podcast, one thing is I really want to communicate that to the world. 
basically. I, I want to try to articulate to the people who, you know, who don't know the dynamic, who don't know everything, just part of how special that is and part of and, and how it led to so much good music and how you guys are always staying creative and inspired. And anyway. Cool. Um, <laughs> this is the end of the podcast. So, that, so thanks for being on the show. I think it was really... Hey. <laughs> I just felt... I thought I thought there was going to be a like, a, like a gigantic but. Like a, you were just setting it up with all this positive... Yeah, there is. Set up. Well, there is. Uh, okay. Okay. What do you love about me? <laughs> that's the that's the that was there's a comma and then well one sorry there's Triple one dot. other funny thing when i was right i was just thinking about that and like when i thought of like the light side as opposed to like the dark side then i started to think like i was like shit are they like yoda for me and then i was like and the, but then i was like they're not really like yoda and then i was like but ghent is like dagobah <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true but that's one of the things though that we should talk about is that the sim similarities between montreal and and belgium or, or ghent belgium definitely you want to you want to get into that now let's save that for a bit later okay Sure. So okay. I wanted to, I guess, just to start, first of all, how are you guys doing? Um, good. As good as it gets, I guess, in this um, in this weird time. It's, um, it's, it's, it's up and down, I guess, like for everyone else. We are super fortunate in that we, you know, we built a studio and we can come and work here every day. That's, you know... Aside from all the financial and the sort of the, the health uh, worries, just the fact that we can stay creative, which just takes off the edge in so many ways. Um, yeah, that's amazing. Do you feel creative? Yeah. Like actually yeah. You, you feel like you're, like you're making good stuff and you feel ideas. And when you're safe in the studio, you still feel creative. Like in the beginning, it was a bit rocky. I think for everyone, you know, like uh, I think there was this pressure of like, oh, um, if this is going to be two months, <laughs> um, then, you know, I need to make the ultimate. Yeah, I remember that feeling. And and I, yeah, and I think a lot of people were like, uh, um, had to put a lot of pressure on themselves. We didn't put so much pressure on ourselves, but we had yeah. a few things going. But we also, we also told people that it was okay to be struggling with that, to not have to be creative. You don't have to do that. You don't have to put the pressure on yourself to 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 be creative. It's okay to not come up with any songs or anything. But regardless of this, yeah, we we have been you know we have been creative and we have been making I think really lots of good stuff. Okay, now what do you love about me? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll skip. We'll come back to that question later. This might be this might be also the worst podcast because we know each other so well. You're, Steph, you're a hundred percent right. It's actually difficult. Yeah, it really, it really is. is. I was thinking about it myself because I was like, how do people understand how intricate or how weird this relationship is between the three of us, um, and how we've known each other through different times in our lives and. It's it's hard without any background yes. to then suddenly hear three guys joking about gold. Yeah, no, Steph, you're <laughs> Steph, you're 100 right, and I'm happy you just steered it a little bit into the right direction. We should probably talk a little bit about how we met. 
the beginning, um, just to give a little bit okay. of context. So my memory is always quite bad. I think we met, did we meet at Puckle Pop? We met at a festival in Belgium, right? In maybe, what is it, 2005? No, but Really? No. Okay, I'm way <laughs> off. I think... <laughs> I could have done research, by the way. I mean, I did. I, I had think the it option. was uh, Cynthia's robotic. Bar. You were there? No. What do you mean? We you didn't were... meet at that. Were you I was there? there? Did you play yes. there? But that's what I'm saying. We we were residents. We we were not there on the same night. Uh, okay. No, the way no, I but we came. I remember I came to one of those city rockers nights, and you were playing, but we weren't playing then. Oh, okay. Huh. But I do remember. And but we just said hi. What? That's all. Yeah, that's like the way I remember it is we met. We met in two thousand two. We all have completely different memories of how we met. Like yeah, with three separate memories. I remember meeting you with um, Ollie, who we should say is mm-hmm. your manager. Um, at that'll, the, that'll get that'll get edited out for sure. <laughs> the the lobby of the Tribeca Grand Hotel in late 2002. Wow. So so, so wait, so Tiga Tiga has 2005 Poco Pops? Yeah, but I, I which isn't have, true by the way. You have the lobby of the Tribeca Grand and I have Cynthia's report. I do not trust my own memory. I trust I think I trust Dave on this one. And so so in the Sorry, at stuff. the Tribeca Grand it wasn't it wasn't like a Hey guys, it was more like a hi, you know, like just uh, we have so many friends and uh, mutual friends. We, uh, you know, we we should meet each other. You were wearing a pink Kangol oh. hat. Okay. Wow. We we had played the night before because this is a a period where um we for some reason we were playing in New York maybe on a monthly basis, and we had played somewhere else and you had played also somewhere else, but you were staying at the hotel. And this is a period where um, there there was like a deal at the Tribeca Grand <laughs> where, you know, you could stay for like a week or 10 days our friendship if is you a, played like Our one. friendship is a history of deals. Yeah, it's a sure. pretty much Tommy Saleh. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, and we met then and you guys were driving up from New York to Montreal. And then the next time we met was at Puckle Pop. Okay. Where, where we played after you. When 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 was this, Steve? Which which year? That's either two thousand two or three. But I I remember John Spencer. Remember him, John Spencer's blues yeah explosion? Wow. blues explosion. Yeah, he he was standing on this like he was watching you and us play, and it was odd that this this guy was watching us play. The visual I have had something to do with Felix the House Cat record. Is that possible? Like either my, maybe my Madam Hollywood? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we probably played. Yeah, maybe yeah, you yeah. guys. I, like I think I, maybe you played a record of mine or something and that was my entrance point. Like I was like, hey, or, so we started Yeah, talking. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. We played uh, Mr. Hollywood and we would have played Pleasure from the Base. Everybody wants to be Hollywood. The fame, the vanity, the glitz, the stories. One day I'll become a great big star, you know. Like the Big Dipper. And maybe one day you can visit my condo. On a big hill, you know. Like 90210. Just imagine my face in the magazines. People analyzing my look, my body. 
I've told you this before. I had seen the pictures or posters with the paper bags over your heads. And I was like, what is, what is this? What's going on? You know? And then I remember <laughs> I really didn't, I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't figure out the name or the bags on the heads. And I remember Damien Lazarus told me like, oh, they're mm. incredible. You, you've, he's like, you don't know too many. You don't know what they do, like how they cut it all up. <laughs> and uh, anyway, to skip a little bit ahead. So when I did, when I first heard you play, I was totally blown away. I mean, DJ wise, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe the energy level. Um, and I had spoken about this recently with Boys Noise too. We were talking about just... I think you guys were probably the first, definitely for me, you were the first I'd witnessed things go to 11, you know, like in a, di a different vibe, a different energy. It had something, I guess, a little bit, a little bit of rock or stadium or whatever it was. It was just something new and pretty awesome to witness. I don't know exactly when it became about production and maybe working together and maybe, but I guess we just became great friends really quickly. And I know on my end, I just wanted to hang out. And yeah, that's so it. That, that was it, though. <laughs> um, so, so when we um, when we met, this I mean, it's going to sound silly when we you analyze these things, but I think humor was sort of the connect, like was the glue. Like when, when we when we did hang out, it, we you know you were just really funny, and we were always <laughs> laughing. No, and, but it's true. D Dave's yeah. right. That is that is that is truly yeah. a factor. I think when we're together, we laugh a yeah. lot. And and I think. Um, quite early on, we 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 noticed that um, you were doing sort of different jokes with us <laughs> than you were doing with other people. <laughs> like you were going a little bit further. You mean uh, he had different material? Yeah, really. Yeah, it, it felt. Yeah, it really felt like um, like. It's also. I have I to say, Dave was the first one to to actually say to me. I remember when we just met you. He was like, you know, he prepares no. when he sees us. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Dave. I remember Dave telling you, like, Dave. Look, I don't remember yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, I remember because I, I remember I was like, no way, Dave. Nobody does that. And then, like, I remember like being sort of like taking a step back, and going, like, wow, yeah, he is pretty. Like, you had material ready. Okay. Officially, I never prepared material. Okay, no. okay. I never. I but really regardless, wish, no. Listen, it would, I would have loved if it was true. No, but regardless of of, of whether you did or not. It did feel um, it was it was clear that like you were the the jokes the, from the from the beginning that you were like uh, doing with us <laughs> were different than you were doing with other people in the room. Well, I think yes, and I guess to us um, it sort of cemented early on this thing where we felt um, like we were sort of like a perfect audience for for you. Like, and I think that's why this dynamic of you know, you just started out the podcast saying like, oh, don't let me interrupt or don't mm. let me talk too much. But I think that's sort of how, um, that's sort of the dynamic between between us where, you know, you just um, talk for <laughs> hours and hours and we sit there and we listen and we, and in the meantime, we're making a track and, you know, like we're, you know, uh, working on some drums and, and, and you just keep going and going. And, and of course, wow. um, to the, to the outside viewer, this could, seem a bit uh strange but i think this is sort of how how our personalities mm. work don't laugh but like some people's you know sexual connection oh here we go dave like it's it's yeah i, I, I knew, knew gonna, Steph, i knew I he was dave, gonna, you, yeah of course he was gonna get sexual it's a bit weird <laughs> dave 
All right. Well, no, no, no. Go with it. There's a, there's a. I was because with David Mir doing press now for the synthy record that we're making, mm. that we made, and that we released. And I remember David me being in Montreal, and we went to see that guy who had a synthy. Uh, Milko. Oh yeah, yeah, Milko. Yeah, Milko. But that that is also early on in in kind of our relationship with you, because that's I remember we went for dinner with your dad. Oh yeah. Well, it's not so that, early in the relationship because no, wait, I, wait, I remember wait. it vividly because it's the first time we met Tiala, your wife Tiala. Yeah. And we met your dad, and it's when we were in Montreal. So, and this is after a few years. Oh, you of didn't us. believe I had a girlfriend. Not even. Yes, you know, yes. Like we didn't believe that you had this. You know, so you thought was, I was you know, a bit. Was this fictional. Yeah, you thought I was a bit of like a psycho, like preparing jokes, lying about a relationship. No, not psycho. <laughs> we the the way the way we imagined <laughs> you creative, like a Rushmore uh, kind of. Rush exactly that film yes. Rushmore the kid from Rushmore but in an adult version that's that's how we and 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 a hundred times more hilarious. Well, one thing that is uh, now that enough time has passed, it's kind of easier to you know it's it's a nice thing to say. But for whatever reason, I always I did want to impress you guys, you know, like like <laughs> and my and that was but that came in a couple of forms. That's. Uh, yeah, you want to be funny and you want to be clever, but also too, you you know, musically, you want to find the best records. You want to make things that that stand out. But that for me was a really, really great place to start in terms of collaborating because that friendly jousting um, and want and that little bit of wanting to impress your friends uh, is is a nice energy. Like I felt it was a good energy. Oh, you know what? Okay, 100%. Uh, now I just remembered something that was quite important in the in in the whole relationship was it was when you guys were working with Flood uh-huh. in London. For anybody out there who doesn't know, Flood is legendary producer. You know Depeche Mode, and well, look him up a million. Like he was big for both of us. You know, just big in terms of what he had done. So you guys were working with Flood in London. I guess that's two thousand and five. Okay, 2003. And and we had just, I think we had just become friends and somehow, and I was in London as well. And I remember I was in studio with Richard X in studio. Like, it's pretty funny that I called that a studio and what you guys were in was also called a studio. I was in like a crawl space under Richard X's apartment. And you guys had said, come by the studio. And I came by after mm-hmm. like, I had made that track burning down, which was that mm-hmm, like my mm-hmm. Nitzareb kind of thing.
show and aftershave Mirror balls and mirror shades And I remember I came in the studio and you guys were there with Flood and it was like a real studio, you know, like industry level. And, <laughs> and, but that whole dynamic of me then playing you guys my track and I was kind of a bit shy, but at the same time kind of confident. And I don't know that, that for me, that whole dynamic, but also what it's you guys, to me, you guys always seemed somehow more real. I guess real musicians in real studios with a real group around you. And it always seemed so, I don't know, I wanted, I aspired, I guess it was like I wanted to be part of the band. <laughs> but uh, but uh, do you remember, is it that session or not with Flood? And we had told Flood about you and you came, you came by and we should have it somewhere. And we jammed as the band and you took up oh, the no. microphone. <laughs> And you did like, I think at least a 40 or a 50 minute thing where you just talked. I talked or I, I tried remember to we sing or I talked. No, no, you, no. It was no, more like stand up. Oh, it was more stand up. And we played over it and Flood was on the modular. And I think we were all doing different things. And it just kept going on. I remember like Flood going like, wow, that's something I haven't done before. Like he oh, great. Like, That's really what I want. That's really what I want to be remembered by. by you should look for that. We should, we should try and put well, that One in thing there. I do think was funny, and I guess this is a sign of like, you know, youthful confidence. I remember I came in there and I played that record and I was pretty, the record had like pretty good energy. It was pretty upfront, you know, it wasn't one yeah. of those. Mm. And then I remember later think like, I was all like, yeah, check this out. And then I remember later being like, didn't Flood do like the Nitzareb records or, you know what I mean? I was like, I was like, hmm. Join in the yeah, chance. Exactly. Didn't you do I was that? Like, I was like, you're not, you're kind of, he's seen some good shit. I might have even said, Flood, you've worked with the rest. Now here's the best yeah. or, you or, really, or something yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> that, by the way, is how the whole thing, the jam that I talked about, that's how you end it. You know what's super important I just thought about is, uh, again, I guess this is becoming a bit more about our working relationship and a bit more about me than I intended it to, <laughs> believe it or not. <laughs> no, but uh, I think what is really crucial was you guys always gave me a lot of confidence, like confidence as, as friends, but most importantly, confidence that my ideas weren't stupid. You know, even if it was just getting on a mic and saying some words or the songs. Or whatever. And I think that that became like a real source of strength for me. And I really, really enjoyed so, it. So, so to that point, because uh, you were saying earlier, you were saying like, oh, you know, I was, I was looking up to you guys because you seemed real. And and uh, and I guess the point I'm trying to make is that um, over those, I guess, 17 years that we've known each other um, and, and been working with each other in different forums 
it i th- i think um maybe the 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 to, to the to its purest what we what we have done uh with you as friends and also sometimes musically is like you say like um show to you that this this romantic idea that you have of um quote unquote real music is completely irrelevant um and you know we went through an arc where you you were really sometimes pushing um pushing uh, us to try and do stuff that seemed yeah. like you know records <laughs> that you've grown up with whereas we and, and I think a good example of 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 what I'm going to try and say is and, and you asked us to come up with uh uh favorite tracks yeah. <clears throat> and and I think a perfect example of this is something like Mind Dimension which is um uh, something that you played after maybe playing us 17 other mm. things that were um, good or or not so good attempts at real music, quote unquote real music, and they were they were all quite good. Like we listened to them, we're like, oh, that's cool, and this is you know we can take a chorus from this or we could do something with that. But then at the very end, you played like a 45 or 50 second. Um, crazy little thing that you made as a joke and you made it as a joke because you knew we were gonna like yeah. it and it blew us away Into your eyes, I see the future. Mind dimension, 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 mind dimension. Every time I look into your eyes, I see the future. example of one of those tracks that we like that no one like a lot of other people could have made songs that we've made together like um even though they're c- sort of strange you're gonna want me is it, it's it is uh it's unlike other people's music but it still has elements of things that that uh, existed before good as gold it's great it's an amazing record but it's still um in the realm of things that existed before something like mind dimension to us was like no one is doing this this is only this this could only come from you and it's within you and all this um all this stuff that you were doing around it which was like you know working with different people going in all these studios um it's it was really just a vehicle to find that those 50 seconds that yeah. you have in you that have you have inside you and i think it spawned a whole um newer uh version of you which came out in plush and yeah, Bugatti definitely. and you know, things things that we thought like yes that's you know you don't really need us <laughs> for this <laughs> we we can we can we can help you make it into a track we can help you make it into a a a, a, a full-fledged uh thing but those ideas 
they really are inside you and no one else has this. And that's, that's what makes you unique. And it's also what, what makes us look forward to working with you. I guess that's the role really of a producer is letting an artist uh, discover who they really are, what's their authentic voice and having the confidence to kind of hone in on that, you know. And it was also, it was important for me that it also came from people who I respected. Can I say one, one thing though? I, I really do think the best music is made when artists are doing it kind of for themselves sometimes and without all this pressure of I need to be able to play it or I need to be able to, it has to be on the radio, it has to do all these other things. And I think Mind Dimension definitely came from within you and you didn't make it to DJ, you just made a 40 second thing of like, hey, these are all these things that I thought of, they could all work together. And I think that's where where the best art comes from is when when people... Because I think you loved it as yeah, well. Yeah, I did. I you, did. So, and and it was also something where you like, yeah, you weren't you weren't trying to be like like you because you always refer to it as real music, <laughs> but yeah, but it's it's a bad it's a bad thing because me I I do think it just came really natural for you, and it makes it instantly authentic. Yeah, it's funny also how that real music thing is less and less. Uh, common. We have to zoom back to when that was a little bit more of a real distinction. So Violator, like Depeche Mode, something I'd listen to and listen to, listen to, was this, you know, like a holy grail, like, oh my God, to make something like Violator. other side you have something like you know no way back by adonis or something which is like okay that's a that's a chicago house track and one for me slowly became i guess more attainable and the other one stayed quite romantic and you guys the thing that was unique is unique about you guys is you're what you're you're kind of the only people i know who really did have a foot in both of those things you know like in my mind i was like okay these guys could make a front 242 record and these guys also actually understand how to make like a massive uh, electronic record And that was and that was important because because when it came to even something like Mind Dimension, you guys were able to elevate it, you know, to to, to mm. and that's also just sonically, just making things. But those two worlds, those two worlds don't have to be exclusively; they don't have to be separate. Because you're saying like you had one foot in in, let's say, a musicians' world, and then another foot in in DJ world. Um, I think for for Dave and me, and maybe for Flood as well, and a lot of the people that you you reference. They, they, those two, all those things were the same. That's because you have a good outlook on it. You know, you didn't see it as, Maybe, and yeah. that's the same as how you guys see DJing. You know, you never saw, I think you, you guys just see it more musically. You know, you don't, you're not drawing so many lines between styles and stuff. No, because we had years of, of playing for like 20 people in a, in a rock band, 
with a van, taking your gear out. Like for us, the whole DJ thing seemed like a, we should probably talk about a that big a luxury. <laughs> well, it's gone now. So, but also, can I can I just <laughs> can I just talk about um, the earlier thing that you said, which was like the 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 having a, a foot in both worlds. But it wasn't necessarily just um, having you know uh, the DJ world and the uh, and the real music world. I think to us it was more about um, the distinction between, let's say, Adonis and Depeche Mode. Um, uh, h- however um, big Adonis is now, in 2003, it was an underground record. Um, it's, it, it has permeated culture uh, you know, in, a, in a much bigger way since, but in 2003, that was, like a, that was like an underground record. And I think what interested us always, and that's sort of part of the ethos of, of uh, Too Many DJs, was to take these records that could work for a bigger audience, but that are in essence, um, well, underground's not the right word, but, n- uh, you know, like not uh, not necessarily pop culture, by sort of juxtaposing it with something that people knew quite well. Um, and th- to, um, I don't know how, to, like the, the to, to us, I think what we were interested in with you was not to make an underground record, but to make something that's some something that uh, has interested us since we were kids, which is sort of off-beat, weird pop music. But and but you that's had exactly what I think. We all feel the same, and it's not something. Maybe it's so easy to articulate. It certainly wasn't. Maybe so easy to say then. But that is exactly I think what we all recognized in each other was mm. that that special yeah. that little intersect where something is a bit weird but still can cross over like where it ticks all those boxes those special records it's something we all love we all look for and i guess we all wanted to make i i saw you guys as as a chance to to try to do that oh and i think we We did did. um i did want to ask i had never really asked you this before i didn't know but what was your first studio so um the one that you came to the first one um the, so the first one where you came to we initially we had we had that in 1997 or 98 maybe 97 we had it as a sort of as a rehearsal room but it was one room where we where we where the band was playing and then we had um just for sort of like uh you know um having like recording a few things we had another room that was seen as like the control room and uh, we had a sampler and we had a a, p- a prehistoric version of Pro Tools called Session Eight, and I, and I guess we did our we did our very first remix there, and it was for Einstürzen de Neubaut. Oh, that's a good start. Which <laughs> uh, we got that because we yeah it's weird eh? <laughs> we got that because with Solvax with the band we toured Germany, and one of the guys from Einstürzen de Neubaut and was also head of our record company there in Germany. I don't know, but he thought it was a great idea to ask us to do a remix. And still till today, it's a weird thing. <laughs> How long were you a band before the idea of production, like the sampler and all that stuff? How long were you just ah. a straight band? Uh, maybe three, four years. Because the, by, by the, uh, 97, we had already done one album. 
And this album we did in in uh, LA with a guy called Chris Goss, and that sort of opened our eyes and mind to production because we you know we were in Hollywood Sound, which is where like the Far Side and uh, you know uh, Slayer. <laughs> and, Those are my next uh, two podcasts, by the way. um you know we were next to other people and then we 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 were also recording in a place called uh, sound city there is a documentary on sound city as well but so we we did our first record there uh a rock record with solwax um with the guy called chris goss who also had produced um the caius records oh god and and but it, but it, yeah but uh, you know what <laughs> you're saying oh god because this for you this is a very different world no it's just because I feel like the word Caius just okay. just tends to come up. But wait, wait before you before you, before you. <laughs> Sorry, guitar music Sorry. and you. It's not a good. It's not a good. Uh, mm. It's not something. Yeah, I've noticed. No, because <laughs> I think at that point, ninety five, ninety six, ninety seven, when Dave and me, uh, and and Stefan and Pete were making the band, Ghent is the center of techno, so RNS is booming. I love techno is happening. I mean, there's a lot of stuff happening in, in, in our hometown involving everybody that we know, and it's all electronically based. It's all techno. It's all sampling. It's all the beginning of so drum it, and bass. But at that point, it's you guys been, had no interest? Yeah, we oh. did. But I think we were kind of like, we were like, ah, we're not going to do the same as everyone else. Yeah, it was it was our version of It's our uh, version of rebellion. saying... Rebellion. Like, oh no! Fuck all this. We we're gonna and make. So we music. started being a a band. Like we're, we're like four kids. And to be really fair, I've DJed my my whole life before and stuff like that. So it wasn't that far off. For I mean, it was really easy for us to go into that world. Especially knowing. I never even asked yeah. that. Like I never even considered. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're in Gant. Yeah, yeah. In that's 95, why I wanted to. That's why I you wanted. Could have been a full on yeah. techno DJ, Steph. One hundred percent. Because Renat was a big fan of my dad's because my dad was a DJ as well on the radio. Sorry, this is, for people who don't know, this is Renat van de Papelier from uh, RNS yeah, Records. From RNS. The R in RNS because it's Renat. And, and Steph's dad was a kind of a Belgian celebrity. <laughs> Dave and Steph's dad. Belgian celebrity, yeah. TV host, man about who town. Who in the 70s had a, t- yeah, was on radio and TV. And I think Renat always liked my dad. It's also Dave's dad, by the way. It's dad. also Dave's dad. Yeah, it's also Dave's dad, yeah. And my dad opened, started a pirate stadium, a radio station and Renat had a show on there, I think in 80, 81 or 82. And I think Frank DeWolf started there. So all these people that are now names in that world, we had access to and we, we knew and, and we knew what, what it was all about. But we, I think we are, being Solwax was like our way of saying, we're not going to go there. We're going to play guitars and try and see how loud we can go it's funny that thing i have it too when i look back now sometimes it's so clear just that the necessity to be like different yeah it sounds so obvious if you've grown up with it it seems so obvious but then think of the people that it's just not like that right think of all the people where it's like oh it's 96 everyone's a techno dj i'm gonna be a techno dj yeah, but it wasn't even just a, a techno DJ. Like um, early early nineties, we had the like late eighties, we had the new beat, and then places like Boccaccio, which is just outside of Ghent. It was like all over Ghent was sort of um, everyone's talking about this sort of new thing of going to big clubs and listening to only 
electronic music. Because prior to that, when you went to a club, it was like you would So hear, you never went, you didn't go to the huge parties? We did. We did. What's your, Dave, your first rave, when was it? I think maybe 92 or 93. I can't remember, but it, it was, I think, Dave Angel or something was playing. We went. We, we hated it. Okay, that's what I was going to say. When you got home, when you got home from your first rave, and Dave Angel, and you're back in mm-hmm. your apartment, how old are you, like? 12 sorry 36 <laughs> 18 okay you're 18 you just went to your first giant party you get home and you're not you're not like oh my god i want to be a techno no but no 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 you're leaving out one big thing is that like who me um just we i didn't go to my first rave and and have like, like a life-changing uh moment for I me it was like this this is where the girls were and oh, I just here we wanted go. to see girls. Here we go. Okay. The pure basis of it is like we would go out. Just to the, meet just, girls. Just to get, see girls. And that's and they were at the rave and <laughs> they were happy. <laughs> but we went home and I went home and listened to Jimi Hendrix. I was going to actually, that's, I yeah. almost said Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> yeah, that's that's it. Like to me, this was like... This um, it it felt a bit like uh, you know when we were growing up we we on TV there was Battlestar Galactica and Buck Rogers and in the, in the future they had this sort of weird music with glow sticks where blee blue blue blee blue 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 and and that's like when I went to the rave it sort of felt <laughs> like this like incomprehensible but that's nonsense. that's more I, I always feel that's maybe a little bit the diff a difference where for Dave. And for me, because I'm older than Dave, mm. um, but I think for Dave that was definitely true because Dave had really long hair. Um, it just f- like started playing guitar. He just went wherever, yeah, like he would just go wherever the, the women are, basically. No, but the Beatles, the Beatles and Jimmy was like what Dave was listening to. That was it. Like there was no like uh, he wasn't looking for the news. Not that he was, dev- but but those were things that it's very not conservative in a way, but kind of like this is what I like and this is what I'm going to go for. But also this uh, quite importantly, we we should say that, um, or maybe I should say me. I came from a very musical family because of Steph, because of my first of all my like our all through our our um, growing up youth. Our dad was, uh, let's say, the, the uh, one of the people where record companies would give the new records to. So if it, there's a new Grace Jones or whatever, new Dire Straits, you know, our, our dad would get those records. So and and Steph's way of of rebelling against this was to find all the records that our dad didn't mm, get. Yeah. So he would go. Yeah. You know, you're so, still doing that. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a good thing because I remember when we talked with your dad, Tiga, he, the music that he liked and referenced was a lot of like the avant-garde new wave electronic stuff that I remember as a really young kid buying because I knew my dad wasn't mm. getting it. So when your dad always goes, Tuxedo yeah. Moon. And so much of it was Belgian I, or coming out on Belgian labels or distribution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So I, I, I feel like... Um, our, our, yeah, so maybe we rebelled against electronic music a little bit in the so, beginning. Yeah, the point I'm trying to make is that for, for me, being five years younger and being in a house where like music was so uh, every, it was every, it was all around. Um, but it wasn't really my thing until maybe when I turned 15 or 16. Um, like those things, like say, like Jimi Hendrix, Zeppelin, Beatles, that those felt like they were my thing in a world that was all about, it was all about 
futurism, I felt quite comfortable that I, w- I was sort of more interested in these things that that came before before it. Even which though, is completely not the rave aesthetic. No, 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 exactly, and it's and it's uh, um, I, and I I hundred percent appreciate the rave aesthetic now, but as a, as a fifteen sixteen year old kid, it felt. It felt sort of like more my mm. thing because everyone else, yeah. every everyone else was doing that already. Yeah. And I also have to say that like this, it, this wasn't like the first thing. Like um, through Steph, um, I had gone through a Def Jam period mm. already, or uh, you know, like like uh, whatever Faith No More, Popoli itself, like all these things, like uh, Prefab Sprout, like these things that Steph was really into. Uh, it's not like I hadn't been into new music, so to speak, um, but they, they, the, 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 the music that spoke to me as me, like for the first time it was me, was, was that kind of stuff. Even though, you know, when, when stuff like, um, I remember Steph and I loved, loved uh, Mars, Pump Up the Volume and S-Express. Yes. When those records came out, I think it's sort of what too many DJs or oh, Stacker Humanoid. It's been about three podcasts in a row where S Express record gets mentioned. Ah, uh, yeah? <laughs> yeah, good. Who, who else? He's, he's been super influential, I think, more, way more than he's been credited. Who else? Richard Russell from XL, uh, Benji B. coming up as kind of you know i guess a little bit well like you said you know it's a bit of that too many djs dna where it's like you know it's part hip-hop part dance part disco and all of it done in in a new way and 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 very importantly it's what we talked about earlier which is it's a weird record that that breaks through yeah that's what we're all that's the holy grail that's what we're all looking for yeah i I remember i remember stack a humanoid i remember when it came out like the the week it came out I had gone to Amsterdam to see Me Beat Manifesto, I think, with a friend of mine, which totally blew my mind, by the way. I had no idea what this was. And then there was a show on MTV called 120 Minutes. And it had a Belgian DJ who was doing it from London. And he was like, look, there's this record out. There's no video. I don't know what this is, but I want to play it to you people because I think it's the most amazing thing. And he just put the vinyl on on MTV and just played it. And I remember Dave and me going, what is this? Totally blew my mind. And I kind of feel like a lot of the electronic music that we referenced, like RNS and stuff like that, 
that was all amazing and we loved Renat, but I think Saka Humanoid for us was like, that's where it has to go. You know, it had the same aesthetic maybe I think in music that we wanted from electronic music. And a lot of it in when we started out was turning into yeah, maybe something that was from yeah, it was like a formula. And it wasn't that exciting anymore. guys love i mean it's the same thing i love it's a minimal amount of pop information somehow stuck mm. on top it, mm. it's something that pulls it out of just being tracky and mm-hmm. yeah it's funny you mentioned stacker humanoid is almost like a record you guys could have made your dad exposes you to loads of records you're getting lots of records you got an older brother and a younger brother and so there's record collecting first then there's band at what point, what is the beginning of deciding or thinking that you will DJ? And what is the, or when is the first time you thought about, oh, we could make records or produce ourselves? And which came first? Steph, you want to go first? Yeah, I was trying to think. Well, what came first? D- I feel like DJing? My, I feel like or, my head is like producing. a hard disk that's skipping. For me, DJing. Because I started when I was 13 or 14. But hold on, I want to know, in your head though, was it ever like, oh, it could be DJing like a career, like a Jeff Mills or... No, 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 no. Why not? No, because the only reason why I started DJing when I was 14 was because I really couldn't dance and I really hated the kind of music that they were playing. And I really felt that if I was in charge in playing the music, I wouldn't be bored at those parties and I would have been in control a little bit of setting the mood. So it was more that. We've always joked about, you know, the official DJ world, you know, the DJ charts and the DJ top 100, and, you know, which over the years just became more and more comical. And it's always been interesting how you guys have been so on the outside of that. But when you go back to... (laughs) Not interested. (laughs) Well, yeah, not interested. But, well, now it's kind of obvious, and now you look you know, it's, it's a good decision, but I just mean more like at the beginning, I'm curious why it wasn't more appealing. Okay. In order to, to answer that question really well, I, I definitely, and I think I, I, I can't speak for Dave, but when we started noticing DJs, you have to understand my dad DJed as well in the weekends, although he was on a TV presenter and on radio he would in the weekend sometimes go and play records for people, but he never saw himself as a, a DJ. And I remember when I started doing it, almost everybody that I knew that was a DJ, or that maybe today we would talk about as like he was one of the most amazing DJs, they would get paid no money. And I think all of them would, would agree that they did it because it was a way for them to be involved with music, maybe without playing music, or a way to, to get into the music business. But it always had to do with finding that record or being able to play that song or being the first to discover that band or um, stuff like that. And so I don't think any of those people had any notion that becoming a DJ of the world that we live in now would have been such so bad, such a big industry now. So the first time somebody book you and they say, okay, you guys are playing 
a giant festival or you're playing when too many DJs really started to take off and you first find yourself on these big stages or I don't know exactly the, the curve of how it happened, but were you just mm-hmm. in your head? Was it just like, okay, this is a giant joke. Like what, what's joke. Isn't the right word, but we, we were very almost hyper aware of the absurdity of it. Like that, that's something, I mean, just, uh, in, at, at its core, the name too many DJs. Yeah came came from us saying like what what what's what a what a comical uh ridiculous world yeah this dj world <laughs> is too many djs was a little bit a sort of a reaction towards already an established form of electronic music and it wasn't a hardcore rave it was just bland house music that was being played everywhere and i think when we started out djing it was the name and everything was, well, I mean, why is it always the DJ deciding what to play and stuff like that? Why can't somebody else do it? And we started playing the songs that we wanted to hear in the club. And to your horror, it was the Stooges mixed with <laughs> Stacker Humanoid. And No, listen, I don't want to give a history <laughs> lesson, but the, and it's a long time ago now, and a lot of those things start to seem obvious as the years go by. But at the time, when you guys first started doing that, what was obvious to you was was a huge deal. And, you know, whatever it was, hearing some of those records in that kind of out of context, technically mixed in a certain way and played at a huge moment at a huge party was massive. You know, it was it was a big deal. It sounded really exciting. You know, But you 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 said a very important word, which is context. And I think um, we didn't, like like you say, at the time, we didn't really realize it. I think it took us maybe till 2005 or six to to sort of realize that um, even though DJing was sort of like a, a big joke, <laughs> joke is not the right word, but it's sort of it. like, it felt like this, yeah. No, but we weren't looking down. Uh, no, that's what I'm saying. So, it, it, yeah. it, that, so that's why I don't want to say joke, but it did, it did feel completely absurd. I do think we were an indie rock band, Solwax. We still are in some way. Um, and we were going to the, to the UK and we were playing. And all of a sudden, we meet Errol. And this is before Trash is at the end. And we sort of understand, or maybe there's a zeitgeist. And I do think what, what links Errol, uh, Dave, me, and say maybe James as well, um, is that we all are rockets that really got into electronic music in some way and who were trying to merge those two worlds together. And Trash was a really good example of something where I think we ended up DJing a lot of the mixes that we did or the, st- the ideas that we had or the kind of music that we wanted to do. And you could see that people were, a lot of young kids were like, yeah, this is, this is exciting. And, and then I think through that, we met you guys and, and I mean, everybody that we know, and because you were asking, when is the first big festival thing where too many DJs where you go, oh my God. But it kind of happened very gradually. And I think one of the key points is when Dave and me, and maybe Errol as well, start making these bootlegs where we, I don't know, put craft work oh, together yeah. with the Beatles and stuff like that. And I remember Errol, Dave and me, we go to Rough Trade in Lapper Grove and we're just, they... We're going through the records, and this A&R guy comes in, and he just walks into the place. He's like, 
oh my God, I heard this this mix and it was something that we had done and something that Errol had done. And he's like, I heard this on the radio. Is this on vinyl yet? And I remember the three of us go, like kind of being happy that he didn't know that it was us. But also kind of thinking, hey, maybe we should press this up or something, you know? Like there was a there was something where we're like, uh, whatever we're doing is now being played on the radio in some weird way, and it's crossing over, and that's where the whole shift happens, and that's when all of a sudden we get booked as DJs on Reading and Leeds, which is a rock festival, mm-hmm. an indie rock fest. There's no dance music, and all of a sudden, too many DJs is headlining in one of the tents. And that's how it gradually happens. It's when those two worlds kind of come together. Well, a, a very important thing that Steph mentions is sort of like a pivotal moment for us is meet, meeting Errol and having this sort of like-minded person um, um, who, when, when we met him, it was at a, at a very small <clears throat> SOAX show. And he was there and we were meant to DJ after the show just because we were bored on tour and you know we would just dj a little bit at this time we were doing these um one hour mixes for belgian uh, studio brussels which to explain maybe at the time it was like a it was like uh the national um, radio station where you know where smashing pumpkins would be played and you know nirvana but also i don't know um Tori Amos, or like whatever, whatever. It was like the the, the alternative wow. radio wow. station. You went. I'm starting. Like I'm Tori starting Amos. the show with that, yeah. by the way. <laughs> um, and and they were playing. They, you know, we we would we had singles out, and they would play <laughs> Soex, and they knew that we were DJing. So they were like, hey, "Can you guys do an an hour mix?" And then we did a series of those, and and I think those is those were sort of like where for the first time we were not just DJing for a crowd, um, but we were sort of splicing up records and and you know it's what became bootlegs, but it was all, it was more like that style of like really fast, having these peak moments and having uh, moments not last too long, and that uh, came to Errol's attention at some point and he invited us to come and play at his first like his new um indie, indie night, night called uh trash and he he came to to the show and then it's where we met and he invited us to come at trash maybe two weeks or one week after and it was so eerie to see that um, back then it was mainly vinyl but some like some CDJ uh, as well but what he had in his in his record bag was so similar to yeah. what we had and and also I think Tiga, what's interesting is that we never felt part of anything apart f- in that time yeah. when we were That's making songs we were part of an uh, of an indie rock scene but but then this DJing side or the music that we liked uh, even if it was FX Twin we were playing all of that or stuff like that the 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 audience for it or the the crowd around it wasn't that big, so when we we did that gig with Arrow, it and it's on a Monday by the way, yeah. So it in London it just felt like I think for Dave and me as well, like but these are all people who think similar to us. Mm. They also want you to play um, uh, Daft Punk, Rolling and Scratching, but also want you to play Ace of Spades of uh, by Motorhead. And then do something something completely different. Mm. Do LRD Peaches, or something, Tori or LRD Amos, or 
yeah, Tori Amos or the Kudelhofmeister. <laughs> but actually, okay, you know what? But I really feel but bad. But now I think what's becoming clear is so you guys were you you were rock kids, and a lot of and you're yeah, rock yeah, yeah. kids That's who knew a lot of great records, and you came basically from a different tradition. And then there's somebody like me who was basically an electronic a, a, came from hip hop and techno, and I think what's funny is because the 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 time period you're talking about coincides also with electro and electro clash. And mm-hmm. really, when you think back on it, more than any particular uh, sound, what that mo- what that time was, it was a lot of people from rock backgrounds who loved electronic coming together. Yeah, because I know for me, through the from in the '90s, from about '95 to '99 or so, electronic stuff got quite conservative in a weird way. It all started to get a little bit boring and a little bit too straight. And I think, so a lot of different people from all over the world were kind of at the same time finding each other and coming yeah. from different angles and a lot of friendships were made. Yes. And that's, that, that's what made that whole period so exciting. So I wasn't crazy. That, when I say you guys were real music, that's not the right term. <laughs> it's more just that you were no. coming from a totally different tradition. No, but, but it's also true that it's not just people who played in rock bands it was also like um, say Stuart LRD or Daft Punk or say the Cams the Chemical Brothers I do think they're in some way they they all thrive to do something which embodied the same um, I don't know uh, dynamics dynamics that we felt in a lot of rock music or in a lot of live but here's the thing that's here's the irony and I remember when you guys told me for example I think what you identified in me when you liked something like Mind Dimension is that I wasn't aware of any rules. I wasn't following any rules. And the irony is, is that a lot of you guys who, what I was looking for in you, and when you kind of, you kind of redefined a lot of electronic stuff because you guys didn't have the techno rules. Like if that, yeah, like yeah, we, if yeah. It, it makes, it sounds crazy now, but that whole group of people, you guys weren't kind of saddled with the baggage no. of, okay, the intro has to go for this long and the ride has to come in here. And, you know, and so there was no, yeah. Also, I think maybe we have to explain that we came from like, if we, let's say from 94 till 2000 or something that we, we came from a, a very different music world where, you or know, business, yeah, way, yeah. music business, yeah, where, where the, the music, like it was completely uh, power based, like where you, you were, um, dependent on MTV playing your video or, you know, radio playing or getting a good review and NME yeah. or all these things that seem completely <laughs> unthinkable now. If they were incredibly, and the, the music business was very powerful, like they could make or break you. And um, uh, the, the, this, this power that all of a sudden you had by yourself, by just making a piece of music, playing it for 2,000 people, those people going crazy it was that was like very different from this process that we had known uh, before where you 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 know you write a song then you rehearse it then you go and record it uh, record the album for a few months and then you mix the album for a month and then you wait three months for that to come out and then it's maybe the third single so that's like you have to go and tour and so by from from the song being written and it being out could be two and a half years and th- this this uh, sudden realization that you can make something on a Wednesday and play it on a Friday yeah. and put it out on a Monday, 
was it's the best in- insanely you know, exciting. exciting to us and and also like you said um the mid to late 90s to us at least it felt it felt like dance music was incredibly yeah, stale it and was. boring and and sort of categorized and it's sort of sorry to say this but it's sort of kind of like how it feels now to us like the dance dance music has become a similar thing very formulaic very everyone's in their own you know every, even though everyone sort of is eclectic but people are in their own little bubbles and um that was something that seemed completely uninterest, uninteresting to us and it's to to come back to your earlier question like is how did we start DJing if that is sort of it like we had a we had um, a thing in Ghent which uh was super popular where big names would come and DJ but we didn't really feel it so much but they gave us a chance to come and you know come and play at one of the rooms and I I'd never DJed before in my life, but <laughs> Steph was, Steph was booked to play with uh, actually Steve, our drummer, and he had left to go and live in New York. And he was like, Steph was like, "Hey, do you want to come with me?" And I vividly remember it was like so. It seemed so easy, <laughs> you know. We played, we played Blue Monday. People danced. We played um, the Residents. People went nuts. We played the Clash. Uh, you know the Mustafa mm-hmm. dance uh, remix. We were like, oh, people went crazy. We played Daft Punk. People went nuts. It was like, play Plastic Dreams. People yeah. danced. <laughs> What's changed? Hey, Steph. <laughs> no, but Steph, did you ever consider just DJing alone? Uh, no. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, sometimes like I, 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 I don't. But there was Sorry. this thing about <laughs> making. No, <laughs> no. It's a really weird one because you know, like I was doing this with Steve, who was drumming in Solwax with us. I think at the, at, at this point, Dave and me were making music together, so there was definitely something there already. And it's super eerie how fast the, hey, do you want to help me out tonight? And then playing together and then going, oh my God, that just went up another notch. But what was the, what was the impulse to ask someone else to DJ with you? Maybe not to just have to do it myself, I think, yeah. I was going to come anyway. You know, like my brother's DJing. I was going to, like, on a Friday night, you know, I was, what What was I going to do? Stay home? No, I was going to go. I'm just thinking for myself, I never in a million years would have thought of asking someone else to DJ with me. Thomas? You would have never asked Thomas no. to DJ with you? Why? Or anybody. <laughs> I really want to go there now. Like, well, it why, is, why wouldn't you? There is something there. I mean, let's avoid me and Thomas for a second, but, well, <laughs> I think you guys have built an entire career on your partnership and supporting each other and working together in a way that's not, I don't think it's, it's not that common. I mean, you're really, really intertwined, you know, from, from the creative decisions to the DJing to everything. And it's not the most natural thing in the world to say, Oh, let's go back to back right away. No, but I think one, one also major difference. And I I mean this in a positive way, Tiga, but you are a very competitive person. Mm. And we definitely, when it came to this, but even a this is true. It's not like we, we, should, super... we should talk about it after. It's true. What do you mean after? Like no, now. after he finishes <laughs> saying what he's going to say. Okay. We, you know, even as Solex as a as a band, we never really fit in anywhere. You know, like people liked us, and we would they, there was a sort of un uh, unprecedented amount of success that a Belgian band was getting in the UK, and this is like it was all going well, but it's. 
it's not like we were part of something. So it's hard to be competitive in a world where you already know that you're not, you don't count. Yeah, but that's, that's, trust me, if you could still be competitive, it's, it's, it's in your nature to not be. This is part of what I was saying is how you Maybe. guys are the good guys. You guys, and <laughs> no, and also you, like you guys bring out the best in me. I was always amazed. Just like I was amazed how like the fanciest car in Ghent was like an 87 Honda. <laughs> I was also amazed at how... Remember that guy with the leather leather pants and on the bicycle? Of course, yeah. Yeah, the the communal spirit you guys had um, always really, really struck me. And it says a lot about me, none of which is good, really. But just how you guys shared everything. This leads into what we really have to get to, some of the modern stuff, is what you guys have built. For the people that don't know out there, we'll get to it eventually, but you guys have built one of the coolest buildings on planet Earth. I mean, you've built really the dream. It's a monument to, to the best type of spirit of creativity and working together and collecting things and good taste and everything. But at the center of it all is this thing of, I don't know if non-competition is the right way to say it, but definitely, <laughs> definitely sharing and definitely being generous. I also noticed it like at the beginning, you'd be like, with me, you'd be like, oh, you want some tracks? It'd be like, you just give me a folder with like 200 of the best records. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, no, no, I'll give you, I'll give you a folder too. And it'd be like seven, seven records, like three weeks later. No, I remember sometimes we would ask, be like, hey, do you have anything? And you'd be like, yeah, I'll send it to you. But I could see the doubt in your life. Well, it was, okay, it was, it was a little bit of an eye opener. That was one of the things that was an eye-opener. And at the beginning of this whole thing, when I said how much you guys, you changed a lot of how I think uh, what is cool and what's the way to do things. Just like how when I was a little kid, KLF was like a giant thing for me about what is cool. What actually is the DNA of how to play this game. The manual. There were a lot of things like that. And I'm happy you brought up the competition thing. I'm not... It's not so good to be so competitive. But part, so um, there's two things to this. I think one side is just, like you said, our nature. You know, like I think it's, it, it, it's not something we consciously do, but I, I mean, we've heard it uh, over the years that people think we are generous, not just in a, on a personal level, but like even, you know, like um, even something like the Radio Solvex app or or how we share, like we don't hide tracks or like it's a it's a it's a thing about sharing um, knowledge or, or or art, and that's something that's completely um, natural and not something that even that we you know in nanosecond we would think about. But then there's a, a conscious uh, part about it as well, which um, we have to be honest. Uh, we touched upon it briefly. Uh, uh, earlier, which is that uh, when we met Errol, after being in the music business, like I said earlier, like the the business was really uh, a, a, an important side, much more than now, where everything was very much based on power. Uh, it was so eye opening to to meet a person who was okay. Success is is hard to gauge, but like for us, he was incredibly successful at having an efficient and beautiful thing going around him even though maybe at that point he wasn't he wasn't as successful as we are in the traditional terms but he was doing all of it by 
as 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 being the nicest person mm. in the yeah. world. Hey, but it was also about music with him. Sure, sure, so, but, but, so but was, there, was, there, there was a lot of people who were into music but were assholes. Yeah. And he was a person no. who was inc- incredibly successful but is the nicest person. And that was very eye-opening to us. It was like, okay, you you don't have to be an asshole to be successful. You don't have to be a dick to 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 go somewhere and i think uh, like like i said earlier p- part of it is sim- completely how we are and then s- quite sometimes it's also a, a a a cerebral choice to do like oh no let's let's just do the nicest thing possible well you are just nice especially especially <laughs> staff <laughs> yeah, I, I, there's probably people who probably won't agree no. with you on that. Well, listen, no, I don't think you find many people that wouldn't agree. But there's one, there's one thing, Tiga. I think that Dave tried to talk about what we talked about in the beginning when we talked about man dimension. Is I, I also have noticed that whatever you call generosity or anything like that, I also do think we believe in the. No, we don't believe in it. We've seen the. It's going to sound really bad, but the power of music in a sense that whenever we saw a track, even if it wasn't ours, that we thought had potential and we knew people would love, we've been championing mm. that and it turned into a success even for other people. And and that related to Sowax as well and to ourselves, that also worked. And now with the building and the, the record label, we see the same thing happening. And it's about being, I don't know, trying to share that i don't know maybe the passion that you have for something and and it comes down to whatever we make dave and me if we like it then then we've done our job then it then we're ready super happy with it and and it always generates into something out there um i think the minute we try to make something for someone else no it doesn't doesn't work that is trying to please people that's when it goes wrong i think if you're a real music lover and you just collect records and you want to play, you just want to find or make amazing stuff. When that is really like at the core of it, it seems to be that that's the only way you can really operate. You know, like as soon as you try to get more strategic or is somehow, I don't know, you're not built like that. You know, I'm the same way. Like, records I signed for Turbo, for example, you know, as soon as you fall in love with the actual music, that's it. That Like, you just want to share that with everybody. You just want to support it. You, you just feel good helping the person. Like, it's just, that's it, just because of how it makes and, you feel. And everything that you're describing now is sort of the basis of DJing. And it took us a while to, to understand that, that that is what we are. Because for a long time, you know, we 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 thought that DJing was like a like we were living. Um, I think I said this at the time many times to you as well. Like we we were, we felt like we were living in a science fiction movie where values had suddenly changed and had made no sense anymore. Mm. And um, but what you're describing, this sort of this this love and then sharing that is is the pure basis of DJing. And that side, we definitely have in us that's something that we have and and sharing and sort of the knowing how to how to make a crowd go wild by by sort of playing and and hearing their reactions that is something that's in us right we like it's not something that we could ever analyze or 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 
even discuss or talk about because it's just something innate. um, And those two factors make up, I think, maybe 90% of what a DJ is. But at the beginning, we didn't really understand this. We just felt like the world had gone mad. Mm. And we were being... It wasn't like we were like seen as like, hey, these are the hip new DJs on the block. At the f- the first two years, it was like, oh, there's a monumental shift in DJing. Like the DJing will never be the same. This every article, every interview, everything that was ever everywhere we went, even promoters, were were like, um, this is like, okay, well, this the there, there's the the DJing will not be the same as before and we're like no 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 it's not the, you know we're not doing anything new we're not doing uh, anything that that, <laughs> that special but the world around us was seeing it as like a whole new world had, had opened up what well, seemed obvious to you it seemed completely obvious to us because this is this is how you know uh, maybe that's also a little bit about belgium because uh, Belgium geographically where it is it's always been a very uh, um, prominent uh, place for child molesters for yeah. <laughs> sorry is that what you were for, uh, is that, I, sorry you I, I should that let in? you finish your own for dance music oh for dance because uh, of because of clubs and distribution and and, and, um, and, and records and, and even yeah bootleggers Um and I think to us it seems just very obvious to go to a club and hear uh, Requiem pour un con by Gainsbourg and DAF and uh, another Madonna. You know, they, these would be like, like you'd hear them uh, in, a, in a club and it would be yeah, completely yeah. normal. And to us, the extension of that was like, yeah, yeah you play Vitalik and Peaches and a uh, bit of Destiny's Child and some uh, the clash you know like that that's just seemed completely obvious to us this is just how our brains were i think also that's when we started off you were talking about not the similarities but the maybe some things that seem to uh, be similar uh, like for montreal and and belgium <laughs> i i think that those worlds they they also spawn these kind of artists, you mm-hmm. know, like who who suck up all these different influences, and then make this great hybrid of all this stuff that they did French music, English music, all the stuff, and I, and I do think Belgium, Switzerland, and Canada. Well, Quebec. Yeah, Quebec. But yeah, maybe Canada. Yeah, yeah they, Canada they, too. Well, I think we. You guys and me share a couple of things that we we got lucky in a few areas. I think the the having the dad and, you know, having the music around when yeah. you're really, really young helps being in a place, which is, uh, I guess not completely central. It's not a London or a New York. So you get to be a little bit weirder mm-hmm. and also, but at the same time you get all the exposure. I yep. think all those things, one thing that I've noticed, and I know it's the same with you guys. It's like when your form of rebellion is not the standard form of rebellion, because you're not growing up in the standard situation. So like if my dad's a DJ in Goa and I'm on the beach and I'm 11, what I'm rebelling against is so different that later on in life, you realize like you're, you're just allowed to be a bit weirder and a bit different 
from the beginning mm. because you're not trying so mm. hard. You're not trying so hard to be cool. You're not trying so hard mm. to, because you're in a pretty interesting environment to begin with. So it, it gives mm. you a lot of kind of uh, time to, to find your own way and confidence confident to be off the beaten path you know that's like a that seems like yeah. a ghent thing and a montreal thing well i think it's a, Bel- a belgian thing oh my god it can't just end like that or can it actually as it happens if you're really into this and you want to hear another hour and have so many of your questions answered so many loose ends tied up well there is a part two and all you got to do is join club sexor that is my last members only patreon service where you get god you get so much you get like never-ending podcasts you get access to my mind you get answers to all kinds of questions you didn't know you had for now if you want to hear part two and bonus material of too many DJs on Last Party on Earth, join Club Sexor on Patreon.